Welcome back to A Christian and a Buddhist Walk Into a Bar. My name is Jamal. I am a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. And I am violently interested in what we're going to talk about today, Jacob. Should I back away from the table? You, there's too many things there you could throw. I was gonna this say, is going to be a problem. You, you shouldn't have given me this glass container or this. <laughs> well, very it's your long glass blade. container. It's to true. Be fair. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I. We managed to sneak into the library with a whole sort of weapons. Um, Fight Club, <laughs> six p.m. on a Monday night in the Woden Library. Jamal, first rule of Fight Club. Come on, man. Oh, no. Get with it. Sorry, the, the Jamal, uh, Jamal is famously a rule breaker, as long-time oh, yeah. listeners to the podcast will know. <laughs> yes. No, I am I am definitely a um, a rule breaker. Um, and, and you belong to a violent religion, according to the article that you've sent around today. It's true. Jamal. I do belong to a violent religion, and that violent religion is Buddhism, the most violent of religions. I don't know that it necessarily said the most violent of religions, but um, the um, yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> today's article is um, an article from the New York Times, um, called "Why Are We Surprised When Buddhism Is Violent?" Um, Jacob, are you surprised when when Buddhists are violent? Yeah, and I think we've had this conversation at some point in a previous podcast because you know, mm. Buddhism is the uh, like enlightened nice religion of the world right like yes. yeah so i mean like what's going on with the to pick a random example like the rohingya in myanmar well it, and, like, and well, yeah exactly and this is uh you know this article kind of goes to that you know it, it's broadly speaking about um the rohingyan atrocities that are happening in yeah. myanmar perpetrated by we could talk about um sinhalese and tamil sri lankans as yes well. Yep. well exactly right so yeah the so yeah to kind of to, to slowly to slowly list them uh the ways in which buddhism is and has been violent in in recent world history yes the rohingya in myanmar um which is a effectively a genocide being persecuted mm-hmm. by the um the buddhist majority there uh, the recent Sri Lankan civil war, where the um, Buddhist government uh, meted out significant violence and you know, bordering on genocidal violence uh, on the Tamil population in Sri Lanka, um, even even in this uh, you know, this article talks about even the the Dalai Lama's own. I was sect just reading that. Yeah, of Tibetan Buddhism has you know. Uh, you know, it's got a history of the raising of rival monasteries, um, and you know, kind of a, a broad suppression of other of other of other versions of, of Buddhism, even within that um, within that that country. Um, you know, and, and and you know, if we want to draw the bow even further, one could argue that whilst not a officially sanctioned religion, um, you know, China is a fairly Buddhist influenced country mm-hmm. um imperial japan gets a shout I- out imperial japan yep. yeah whilst more kind of you know focused on emperors and that kind of thing yeah absolutely imperial japan has a has a history of, of violence and with a lot of buddhist influence in there um so yeah um it's it's long and sordid and you know even our, our good mate ashoka from previous uh episodes whilst uh, seemingly less violent once converted to Buddhism, Buddhism, I mean, ran an ancient Indian kingdom. I'm sure there was some violence that was going on there. And even post-conversion. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, 
but, but but I think a lot of this boils down to a real disconnect that many people in the West have, where Buddhism is seen as a religion um, in favor of love and peace and kind of this very kind of almost hippie mindset of universal love, which you know it is a religion that 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 um, purports to that and advocates for that, and yet time and time again. Um, Buddhist communities and Buddhist governments, for the most part, um, uh, you know, engage in really horrendous acts mm-hmm. of violence. And and so we could we could get into the wider Buddhists engage in really horrendous acts of violence. I, we've kind of touched on that a bit on the podcast before. We can, we can come to that, but why is there this disconnect then? Like because. It feels to me that probably with the exception of Buddhism, maybe Taoism and Confucianism, but as much as anything else, because Western people don't really know much about either of those, like the West seems to have gotten over this idea of, well, religions bring peace, right? Like mm. why, why is Buddhism the perceived exception to that rule? Um, and why shouldn't we be shocked when Buddhists are violent? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, there's a, a double barrel. I'll try and tackle them one and one and the other. But I, I think the perception of Buddhism as a peaceful religion probably comes from the fact that Buddhism in the West got imported in kind of almost a purely theological state without any of the cultural baggage. Right. So yeah. Okay. So, so the history of Buddhism in the West is probably at least in kind of popular Western Buddhism most associated with uh, a bunch of 1960s hippies that went over to India. Well, the, the Beatles are the case par excellence, right? Like they're yes. not Buddhists, but they go and they see a guru in a mountain and do this yeah, stuff. Yeah, like- and uh, about the time the Beatles were doing their thing, you know, you had a bunch of American Buddhists yep. um, going over and uh, getting teachings uh, Often Tibetan Buddhism teachings, but Do we get Sri Trimnoy from around this. Is he, yeah, or is he a bit later? he's a little bit later. Yeah. But Sri Trimnoy is kind of you know building off that. You you get um, you get uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti who goes across, who's a kind of very, uh, you know, builds a big uh, organization around meditation in the U.S. and that kind of thing, um, and yeah, but, but what you often get is what you really get is um, a bunch of. Chris, uh, a bunch of sorry, Western Americans going over to India, picking up Buddhist teachings and bringing them back. Yep. Um, and then you know, this and is so all- they have the teachings without the culture, right? Which sounds like can be good and not good, right? Well, like exactly it's a mixed right. Bag. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think so. You have that, and at the same time, you have some of the Thai monasteries opening up to Western. Uh, foreigners, so you're mm-hmm. famously in kind of the more Theravadan tradition, Ajahn Chah, the famous monk from Thailand opens up to Westerners, um, and probably similarly in the kind of post uh, the post war era, uh, Japan opens yep. up, and you get a really big uh, influx of particularly U.S. people into Japan uh, who settle and, there and Japanese people into the U.S. Yes, and elsewhere. Absolutely. yeah, 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 right, and settle in, but but you you kind of get the the bringing of Zen in that, mm-hmm. that kind of sense, and so really around this time. The importation of Buddhism into the West is is large. Uh, it's certainly much bigger than it's ever been in, in mm-hmm. history before then. Um, and you're getting this religion uh, that is, I wouldn't even say pure, but it is definitely without the cultural baggage. Yeah. It's, it is what the Buddhist teachings are 
uh, at least set out to be. And and people are bringing back texts. They're bringing back teachings. They're bringing I was going to say, is there, is there an extent to which you're you're even getting the the teachings properly? Because you're kind of encountering them, like obviously in translation and through particular traditions, and you're not necessarily staying in dialogue with those traditions. Mm. And yeah, like like the the I, Buddhist texts, as far as I understand, or the teachings. It's not like a Quran that you can just take it and you've got the thing. No, and I think it's probably a little bit of both, right? So I think yeah. for certain types of Buddhism, particularly say Tibetan Buddhism, um, and um, kind of the the, the the Vajrayana tradition, it's it's really important to stay in dialogue with that religion as it, yep. as it moves. It's it's kind of you know we've spoken before about rabbinical traditions of commentaries and that kind of stuff, and that's really important in the Tibetan tradition. Mm-hmm. In the Theravada tradition, the Pali Canon is fairly well accepted as direct translation and hasn't really changed much in the past thousand or so years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, if you're taking the Pali Canon and Again, people are learning Pali to read it in the original and then translating it into English because these haven't been translated into English, and they're not. So they're not working it, through Thai, yeah, or and whatever, they're not translating yep. it through Hindi or whatever. Yeah. Um. Then, then yeah, I think you can get a kind of pure direct translation of it, or a pure yeah, direct okay. teaching of it. And, and do you get pure direct Buddhism when you do that? Uh, it depends on your views of Buddhism, right? <laughs> and, and, and what, well, what does you Jamal think? think? Um, yeah. look, I, th- I think you get you get the word of the Buddha. Okay, um, yep. And, I mean, at the end of the day, though, the word of the Buddha is only... It, it's not like the Quran or the Bible where the word of the Buddha is itself holy. Yep. The word of the Buddha is the experience of one man and their engagement with Dharma, but Dharma goes beyond just Siddhartha Gautama. Mm-hmm. So... The word of the Buddha is pure in so much as it provides a really useful way to go and uh, follow the path um, as the Buddha did. There's a question about whether that's still applicable in yep. the modern day and age, and yep. or, you know, or whether which is the whole thing that, that are needed, tradition right? yeah. is talking about, right? Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so yeah, yes and no. Yeah. Um, but I think the really key part of it is the is doing so without all of the additional historical cultural baggage about what Buddhism means in that part of the world, how it's kind of formed into a political class, mm-hmm. how it's kind of engaging with, you know, and because the other side of this too, right, is that these foreigners that are going to uh, the the Asian continent and uh, learning about Buddhism are learning about it from holy people. They're not learning about it from people who are embedded into the everyday functionings of those society. So they're going to the monasteries and staying at the monasteries with the yeah. with the Brahmins, with the with, with the Ajans, with the gurus. Even though there is this kind of like it, I don't know if it's quite a hierarchical mm. thing within Buddhism, but there's a very much a, a lay it's not clergy, but like a, a lay Buddhist, non-lay Buddhist. Like there is a, yeah, a pretty the, the, hefty it, distinction it, it, there. It's called the Sangha. It's a it's yeah. a huge yeah, part yeah. of the of the religion. Absolutely, it's it's a very important distinction. And yeah, they're not, they're only engaging with the Sangha, right? Mm-hmm. They're not engaging with lay Buddhists in the same way. But they're not necessarily then coming back to the West and practicing as a Sangha. No, right? But right. And, yeah, and, yeah. And there are ways that that you know that you bring your whole Western cultural baggage to it. And yeah, we've spoken ad nauseum about the mindfulness movement and how, you know, all of that kind of comes about. It gets a shout out in this article as well. Yeah. Yeah. Shock horror. Um, But yeah, so, um, so yeah, so, so, uh, so I think, 
I think when you do that, what you get is kind of only the good bits, right? Because again, <laughs> these are you know th- there there is no zeal like the zeal of the newly converted, mm-hmm. and so these are people who are advocating for Buddhism, who are you know seeing Buddhism as aligning with their already probably fairly hippie kind of views of the world, and you know they see a message of universal peace and universal love, and they see a message of don't be violent, and you know they see a message of you know. Don't you know the first they, precept of don't kill anything and yeah, the, be vegetarian so as not to kill animals and harm things and you know they they see dare I say a bunch of stuff that's associated with other religious traditions but they see it in a fresh way yeah exactly yeah. right um so yeah so so I think it breeds this culture of understanding the religion as kind of almost frozen in an ancient time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. doesn't see it for the kind of political cultural context that it's in currently and so really you know perpetuates this kind of mythology of buddhism as oh it's so super peaceful of course no one would ever harm anything no one would ever whatever else and and you know to to give buddhism credit because you know i like to give buddhism credit um (laughs) it's it is that yeah with it if you do remove it from the cultural and political context of the time if you you know i there are you know when we talk about buddhist atrocities and we talk about buddhist violence the monks are never really doing it you know, like in is that true in Myanmar? Uh, the the monks are maybe providing political justification okay. to do it, but monks aren't going out there and shooting. Oh, so they're not getting their hands dirty, right? But yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and 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 I, I would argue that that for every monk that is providing a political justification to it, you've got five monks that are out there saying that's terrible, right? Okay. Like, look at the Vietnam War, right? Like the the, the Thich Nhat Han. The, the kind of the famous Vietnamese um, uh, Zen practitioner mm-hmm. who, who lived in France for a lot of his life, um, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh and his movement, which was the movement that was associated with the monks self-immolating during the Vietnam War, they were suing for peace on both sides, right? They, they, they were not saying, mm-hmm. go away communists or go away Americans. They were saying, stop it. just <laughs> stop fighting, right? Yeah. And, you know, in the Vietnam War, there are almost no monastics that are... Um, picking a side and yeah. trying to agitate for, for violence one way or the other, right? And, yeah, yeah, you have a handful of exceptions in some of these political situations, but I would say these are um, politicians under the guise of monastics, and I think most Buddhists mm-hmm. would also say that, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't take away from the atrocities done by the Buddhist lay people who are out there actually murdering Rohingya and actually murdering Tamils and, and all that kind of but thing. But it does distance them from kind of the theology. It, yeah. It saves the theology in a sense. A little yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and so to answer your second question, like why are people surprised when Buddhists are violent? I, I think it's it's the same kind of answer. I think people are surprised when Buddhists are violent because people have a view of Buddhism that is so coloured purely by a kind of direct theology of peace. And, you know, and, you know Buddhist, Buddhism is a theology of peace. Uh, mm-hmm. It's absolutely... You know, it, it's very Kantian in its kind of description of violence in that, um, you know, it it sees violence as a negative thing to do in the world and, you know, sure. leads to bad karma, but mostly as negative because of the ways in which it harms the person who meters out the violence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you go to kill somebody, the amount of anger and hatred you must have inside you in order to do that is so severe that, you know, that's a problem for your Buddhist practice and it kind of justifies it in that sense. Yeah, it, it kind it, of takes you away from enlightenment. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and it, it does also say, well, you know, it's bad to kill things. But, yeah, as, as a religion that doesn't have a real kind of 
objectivist ethic. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It it it's hard for it to stand on grounds of just going it's bad to kill because all life is sacred kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah, totally. So it 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 goes very um very personal in the way it does that. Um but yeah, so then I think people get surprised and people absolutely are shocked when they go, oh, what do you mean this Buddhists are violent? Because, you know, their only exposure to Buddhism is through a yoga class or through mm-hmm. uh, the Dalai Lama or through all these various different, you know, kind of very openly peaceful figures and peaceful teachings. And so th- there was something I found really interesting towards the end of this article, mm. um, about, touching on colonialism, right? So... The, the particularly looking at the violence in Myanmar, um, the the author, if I'm remembering correctly, is kind of argues roughly that the the reason that we see religious violence particularly happening is because the British colonial overlords, when they were there, needed to categorize everyone into their nice little boxes, and you're Buddhist, and you're Muslim, and you're Hindu, and and whatever, in a way that wasn't necessarily. Uh, how people would have felt or would have primarily identified on the ground and and shout out to our What is Religion series that was recently re-released that goes into a bunch of of this kind of stuff. Um, But that therefore you get kind of the idea of Myanmar, Buddhist nationalism kind of, at least this is how the article credits it, is, is within Myanmar, Buddhist nationalism comes up in this way, but also this idea of buddhism as a religion of just light and peace and niceness in some ways actually others the rohingya as well because that narrative starts to play out of well we're a tolerant nice religion and those muslims over there are being intolerant and proselytizing and and yeah. and how dare they ruin our beautiful we are intolerant perfect of your intolerance so yeah. we're going we're, we're to kill you for <laughs> wanting to not be non-violent because we are so tolerant that we yeah. like yeah how, how dare you ruin our idyllic mm. buddhist society yeah and and i think i look i think there's a lot of credence to that particular theory because i would also just point out the coincidence that the major at least explicit cases of buddhist violence in recent years being myanmar and sri lanka mm. are both ex-british colonies and um, it's hard to find places in that part of the world that aren't ex-british or french colonies china oh, and japan excluded sure but i but, I, but I, let's compare it to the french colonies the violence in vietnam had nothing to do with religion yeah okay um you know yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the violence in um, you know, the violence in the Philippines and Indonesia had nothing to do with religion. Fair point. It's a, you know, Continue. There's, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a Britishness yeah. to go, that's going on here, right? Yeah. Good call. And, um, uh, and there's, there's an exception of Thailand, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, the, yeah, the, um, but yeah, so I, I think the fact they're both British colonies is a, is a thing. You know, yeah. And and I, I do a kind of somewhat agree with we could, that. Um, sorry, we could just also look at Hindu nationalism to the extent yeah, that that's happening sure. in, in India as Absolutely. well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the Hindus versus Muslim divide yeah. in, in, played out in India for yeah. Also former ages. British colony. Yeah, yeah, correct. And yeah, and I think, I think the British tendency to divide groups not inherently by ethnicity but by religion like mm-hmm. the, the the british kind of thinking that religious groups are inherently ethnically different groups yes. i think really yep. plays into that and i don't think the other colonists do it in the same way so you know i mean the british were the masters of divide and conquer let's just give them that um i, I think the other 
yeah, the Dutch certainly was there's Dutch and then there's everyone else, you peasants. Um, <laughs> and and there, there's its own problems with that. That is, you know, the Dutch were potentially the and, worst and of the, the colonists. Maybe, maybe, maybe oh, shout Belgians, out to Belgium. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Belgians, but, um, but, and, and then there's the French of like, we are all French, right? Yeah, right. Completely yeah, yeah, different the, the again. French yeah. is hyper-integrationist. The Dutch is anyone who's not Dutch is a piece of dirt. Um, and But the British do draw divides within local yep. populations in a way that the other colonists don't, right? And yeah. they, they do it on ethnic lines, but they also really do it on religious lines because that's really easy for them. When you have, again, the British the British have a vested interest in dividing as much as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And when you rock up to a country and, you know, maybe in, in Malaya it's easier because the Chinese and the Malay are quite clearly distinct ethnic groups mm-hmm. and you can divide along those lines and you can throw religion in there as well but you don't need to in the same way whereas in, you rock up in sri lanka you rock up as in sri lanka, a white yeah. person right without like yeah, yeah like because there are obviously ethnic differences but they're, they're not they're not really yeah. they've been blended for such a long period of time you rock up in india and people in the same town uh, you know you're trying to divide people <laughs> in the same town and how do you how do you do that right because sure there are some ethnic differences but not really and and even in in burma it's almost the opposite where there are so many ethnic differences you know, you're almost kind of too small in that although yeah there are there are issues with with ethnic infighting and everything going on there um but yeah so i, I think there's absolutely something to that argument that it is a british mm-hmm. kind of layover and it is probably associated with the way that the British came in and deliberately divided people along religious lines and set them against each other. And and you have situations where you just, you know, people that would have been ethnically the same except one goes to a mosque and one goes to a temple are now suddenly seeing themselves as vastly different. Mm-hmm. There's there's a danger there, though, to, to come back to the, um, like, why why is... Buddhism violent and spoiler alert my view is it's like, the question is not why is Buddhism or why are Buddhists violent it's why are people violent right yes. that seems to be the the common denominator and and I I'd like to think we've we've got past with the whole religion is inherently violent thing I'd I'd like to think we've got past that to realizing that people are inherently violent we probably haven't because there's a danger here of just going oh well it's all the British's fault and it's all colonialism's kind of fault. And I'm thinking a little bit as we talk about this around the conflict that is happening as we're recording in Israel and Gaza where Hamas has done a bunch of stuff and now Israel's retaliating and it's all really messy. But, like, that's a classic, you know, 1945, 1947 state of Israel. We're going to draw some borders on a map. Oh, look, we've displaced a bunch of people to give the nation of Israel. They'll be happy with that, right? They'll be fine. And, like, because you can trace that back to colonialism and arbitrary division mm. of people as well, right? But, like, surely that, like, that's that's not the whole story of human violence. For sure. And, and yeah, and I think to... To, to linger just for a second on the on the situation in 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 Gaza, mm. it's you know I think that is a really good example of this idea that people are violent and not religions are violent because you know I think you would say that most people of both the Jewish faith and the Muslim faith would argue that their religion is not inherently violent yeah. right um, and I would probably agree with both of those arguments upon my reading of those two religions and yet there is a division that is happening across religious lines there, but also a division that's happening across cultural lines mm. um, that is leading to some pretty significant violence going on from, from everybody. And, um, and you know, it's 
it 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 goes back to the it's an old trope, right? But it, but I think it's a useful one in that to say that yeah, religions aren't violent, people are violent, but also religions provide a really good justification for violence. And I mm. think even if they don't teach violence, I think all religions can be used to reinforce messages of violence in and the hands of people who want to use them to do that. Is that basically just because it's a it's a pretty accessible in-group and out-group? I, th- I think so, right? I, I think, you know, yeah. realistically, you have to see somebody as part of an out-group in order to to enact violence on them. Right. Yep. Yeah. We'll, we'll go to deep kind of Foucault theory here. Right. But like, you know, if, you know, if you accept the idea that the state is the only authority that has, uh, that is allowed to meter out violence on an in-group. Sure. Um, and that, that's the basic functioning of the current international order. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you accept that, uh, then to justify any kind of violence that is not essentially policing, mm-hmm. um, you have to see the people you are Im- Im- impacting violence upon to be of an outgroup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, a really, really easy way to f- point someone as an outgroup is to say, well, they pray to a different god than I do. Mm. And so they are therefore wrong, they are therefore lesser, they are therefore, um, you know, in, in some religions they are therefore evil, right, for doing that. And so it justifies violence uh yeah, it, it, it takes somebody who would not inherently, you know, agree with being violent towards somebody and, and it, you know, it, it adds a fuel to the fire of justifying why you should be violent. It, it's not necessarily quite on topic and, and we can cut this if we want, but like just a not a new light bulb moment for me, but as you were mentioning that, I was like, oh, yeah, like Australia and the processing of people who've tried to arrive in Australia by boat. Like, it, it's literally that whole process, right? Like, of a, an other and a less than. And as much as we might be want to be compassionate towards these people, they've made the bad choices and they should have done better, kind of. Like, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and people who otherwise would not condone violence at all are perfectly happy to, you know, see people thrown in torturous situations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and and no, I think we should keep this. And at the very... At the very least, even if people are not willing to go out and enact violence, they're willing to stand by and allow violence to happen yeah. uh, to people they consider to be other, right? And um, you know, and I think when when you get to the situation in Israel and Palestine, you get to so many additional layers mm-hmm. that are not just cultural and not just, you know, it's one thing for the Taliban to use uh, religion as an excuse to meter out violence kind of broadly and, you know, uh, you know, encourage young, young, mostly young men to commit acts of terrorism. Uh, it's another thing when you add, this is the holy land. <laughs> and, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and not only is this, uh, you know, culturally and communally where I live and where I've, where my, my, you know, my family's lived for generations, but also this is God's chosen place mm. and this is the promised land and this is, you know, all of these things. And, you know, yeah, that that becomes a really a massive tinderbox for religion being used in such a way that really does, really does start to And all problems. of the, the religious overtones that go with the state of Israel as well, like not simply the um, chosen land aspect, 
but also the idea of like Israel as a sanctuary for Jews, right? Like it, it like the modern state of Israel is a direct result of the Holocaust yeah. in World War Two, right? Like so, you can understand why people might get antsy about feeling like they're under attack and all of their neighbours hate them. I'm not saying that is the case. I can understand how people feel that way. Yeah, and, and I think that goes equally so both ways with yeah. the Palestinian case. Yeah, right? absolutely. Where, you know, um, yeah, I, I think it's completely understandable the intergenerational trauma that are probably a lot of, that exists in a lot of uh, citizens of Israel um, and how that, you know, you can, it's a very understandable fear of persecution and fear of attack and fear of um, violence. Um, and then similarly, um, you know, a, a displaced people that have kind of forcibly had lands taken from them by Europe, effectively. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you know, being fearful and uh, and protective and you know resistant to that process being meted out upon them without their consent. So, how do we solve it, Jamal? Uh, aside from just and, and, so, and I, feel, I feel like this, the way where this article landed anyway was just Buddhists should be better Buddhists, right? Like people, yeah. people should practice well, well, their peace-loving religions better like and, and, uh, and i mean and, and but i think maybe that is a i mean again yeah, yeah i i have no, i have no <laughs> solutions for peace in the middle east um but but i mean maybe that is maybe that is somewhat of a solution that could be uniquely explored in that situation right because because the israel palestine conflict is so embedded in religion i wonder whether a religious theological solution could be found there right where you know it's it's really really hard to justify to either side there why they should drop their weapons from a cultural standpoint or mm -hmm. from a personal standpoint or even from or, a geopolitical standpoint, yeah right, right? exactly yeah. right but maybe you could justify it from a religious standpoint you know can you get all the rabbis and all the imams together and try and sue for peace religiously and at the very least make it clear that the violence is against the wishes of the religious um authorities mm -hmm. the people who have that credence you know i mean i wonder whether that's a solution right i wonder whether there's a there's a uniqueness to that situation where everybody involved in that conflict has a religious authority that they would potentially defer to over a political authority in a way that because you know not not everyone who lives in Israel, I'm sure, is a hardcore um, Jewish, a practicing uh, Jew, and in the same way that not everyone who lives in Palestine is a hardcore mm. practicing Muslim. But um, or, or like not even just hardcore practicing Jew or Muslim, but like a you know supporter of Hamas, right? Like right, I, yeah. I've not looked into it recently, but I I would not be surprised if Hamas has a minority support amongst Palestinians in Gaza. Like right, in the same way that Netanyahu has a minority support amongst. Well, I mean, there were massive protests about the hollowing out of checks and balances the in the Israeli the state just earlier yeah, this yeah, year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And so, yes, yeah, so I, I just wonder whether, I wonder whether an appeal to religious authority could cut through in a way that might not, that, that might be unique to that situation. I, I would love to think so, Jamal. But then, like, I, I look at Iran, say, and I like, and I just go like. Because to me, part of the solution, like in in Israel, Gaza, like particularly, would be like if if all of the Islamic leaders like said 
what Hamas is doing is is no good, and we we can't. I just I can't see that well, so, happening. Well, right, and, and and that's not to say that that's a feasible solution. Sure, uh, because I think yes, you're pointing to part of the problem, which is that the the religious leaders in that part of the world are very caught up in the geopolitical and cultural struggle, mm-hmm. right? And they are... In, in the same are, way as um, Catholic bishops in the US on the, on the right of politics oh, it, get it, caught up in it, that, right? It, or American evangelicals for that matter. Yeah, like, yeah. It, 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 in, you know, to even go back to historical things in that area in the same way that the Pope yeah. called a crusade, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, yeah, like go kill all the Muslims in, in the <laughs> Middle East, right? Like, yeah. Totally for religious reasons, yeah. guys. No politics there, involved. No politics at all. It's all yeah, religion, yeah. right? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's the same problem, right? And, and again, I think this, you know, coming back to the Buddhist thing, I think you get that same problem when you have certain lead monks in Sri Lanka and Burma going, no, no, we absolutely need to kill mm-hmm. all the Muslims, right? And like, yeah, you, when you have religion co-opted by politics, you you struggle, right? Yeah. You really struggle in that situation. So I, I guess our our upshot is that religion makes people better, hopefully. Hopefully, there's there's still people. Um, yeah, yeah, there's still people, yeah. and 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 I think. Look, I I am actually very quickly before we before we move on from from Gaza. Um, obviously, this podcast will be released um, sometime after we're recording it. Yeah, November um, probably. You'll be yeah, hearing this. so. So we we don't know how that situation will resolve, and you know I, I would obviously like it to resolve peacefully uh, with the minimal amount of lives lost and the minimal amount of mm-hmm. people's um, people's whole worlds turned upside down. And you know, it, it, you know, hopefully there will be a swift solution that that respects the the rights and the autonomy and the kind of the 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 ways that people want to go about their lives of, of, of everybody in that region. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that there'll be some kind of permanent solution there that yeah. actually like, yeah, 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 everything that you said, um, but, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Yeah, yes. Unfortunately, I, I, unfortunately the, yeah. the war may still be going on by the time this gets released. Um, hopefully we're wrong. Um, but the um, just, yeah, I, th- I think on the, on the Buddhist thing, I, I I like the fact that Buddhism has this kind of false image of, um, <laughs> of being super peaceful. Like it, it's super useful. Um, Go on. Well, I, I mean, because I, I feel like the the Crusades as a Christian not useful at all. Better if they hadn't happened. It would be easier. Well, I, no, I, I mean, I, I don't want the Buddhists to keep being violent to people. Okay, I would right. like I would like them to stop, but I would also like. But I also think that like I think people should be realistic. People absolutely should criticize yeah. the. Um, the governments of Myanmar, the governments of Sri Lanka, when they when they commit atrocities, particularly when they commit genocide. Yes. Um, and I think people should criticise any Buddhist that uses Buddhism as a justification for those atrocities. Um, but I also like the fact that Buddhism as a whole is able to kind of skate through a little bit in that way, because I think, again, I'm a Buddhist. I think the Buddhist teachings have a lot to give people. And I think the more that people see Buddhism as an antidote to some of the problems of modern society, the more likely they are to engage with it and to kind of try and see the teachings for what they really are, which are a teachings of peace and are a teachings that encourage nonviolence in that kind of way. So, so if I understand you right, you're saying you're like, you're comfortable that Buddhism mostly gets a free pass. Um, 
in, in Western I, discourse. I, I'm comfortable in so much as that does is not then used to justify the atrocities. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Of like so, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I'm not saying Buddhism should get a free pass and therefore ignore them. I'm saying it's just, it's just nice that it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, it, it's a. I think it is good for the Dharma. It is good for the teachings that they get a little bit of a free pass, at least for the next hundred years or so. <laughs> um, you know, uh, where yeah, where where Buddhism can. Yeah, you know, I think it can reach more people in that way. I think it can be more effective at um, at actually giving the real teachings as as they need to be. Is that like just going back? Is that an argument that says, well, actually, like Buddhism in its pure form is like will create peace? Like, because because there's a like I'll, I'll be honest with you, like there's a a bit of that that almost feels not inauthentic. But, uh, like, hey, yeah, I'm happy if people approach this with, with rose-coloured glasses, like, be, because because of the net good. And maybe that's just a utilitarian kind yeah, of argument. I mean, I, I think maybe it's this idea that Buddhism is encouraging people to see the reality beyond the reality of the world, right? So mm. it's like, it's almost like there's such a deep teaching in Buddhism that, like, you know... Sure, the reality of Buddhism is that, you know, there are people that enact violence, there, there, there are negative situations, but it's almost like the real reality of Buddhism is so far removed from that and is so... The real rea- reality of Buddhism is found alone in a forest, you know, and that kind of thing, that it's like, I think you can kind of sidestep some of that if you don't have to engage with it, Yep. you know? Um, and I don't know, maybe that is rose-coloured glasses, I don't know. But, like, it... I... I don't know. I, I just, I, I think that, I think why pick up cultural baggage if you don't have to, right? <laughs> I think you should understand it in order to understand culture and politics sure. and all these kinds of things. But I, I just don't quite see the reason why why you would want to take on the cultural baggage of a Sri Lankan Buddhist if you can engage with the teachings. You know, there's enough baggage being a Western Buddhist that you don't need to pick up the cultural baggage of everyone else, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting just because like, for me, one of the, like, with the Christian cultural baggage, of which, of course, there's famously not much at all in a Western context, but, mm. like, one of the aspects of that that is is helpful for me as a Christian, like, just, just in processing it, let alone in then, you mm. know, talking about Christian faith with others, is the fact that it points to how broken humans are mm. and, like, just the, the sinfulness of the world and that... Um, yeah, not only are people imperfect, but Christians are still imperfect. And if you think Christianity is going to be a magic recipe to make you perfect, you you probably it's not the religion for you, right? And, and well, and I guess maybe Buddhism would just say like you know the, the Buddhist version of that is like you know noticing the suffering everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. And and noticing how you know, the dissatisfaction of life in the world and how that's present in and everything. And how I'm caught up in that. Yeah, and how yeah, you're caught yeah. up in that. And I, and I guess maybe the Buddhists would say, you know, you don't need a war to understand that, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, there's enough of that in your own life that, like, yeah, you don't need... I mean, I would almost argue that any involvement in a war is almost too extreme to properly notice mm-hmm. that. Like, there's too much of a survival instinct going mm-hmm. on there that, like, you know, you know, it, it, there's a reason why, you know, Buddhist monastics... And start and and such as are historically, you know, from at least a somewhat wealthy middle class kind of background, right? Because you know there is an acknowledgement that if you're 
if your life is too difficult, you can't yeah, you escape can, you that can't situation, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah, so honestly, uh, a, a state of world peace kind of works because then at least everyone has the time and energy to realize actually world peace doesn't really solve your suffering. <laughs> uh, so uh, shall we take our cultural baggage and and bring it into a bar? Oh, uh, we, we should. Yes, um, and you know, the, so the Christian and the Buddhist bring their cultural baggage into a bar today, um, and um, you know, and today there's in the bar. Um, there is Nasruddin. Excellent. Nasruddin's in the bar. Um, he has no cultural baggage whatsoever. None at all. None at all. Um, and so um, the Nasruddin's there, and Nasruddin's, uh, you know, covered in flour. And they're going, Nasruddin, why are you covered in flour? And he's going, I've opened a bakery. It's like, oh, that's cool. It's like, what kind of bakery is it? It's a Buddhist bakery. It's like, oh. Where they bake Buddhists. They bake Buddhists, maybe. Well, I mean, what else is a Buddhist? Anyway, go on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is why Jacob doesn't do the jokes. Um, so Amongst the reasons. So, yeah, so Nasruddin's in, um, you know, you open a Buddhist bakery and they go, oh, like, you know, like, so what's, um, you know, why'd you open a Buddhist bakery? And he, and he says, oh, well, I wanted to rise above all expectations. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, <sighs> that is us, I think, for this week. We'll be back violently next week you can get in touch well maybe more peacefully next week maybe we'll, we'll see, see how we feel uh christian buddhist bar at gmail.com that's, if you want to get in touch with us that's right and our music is by kevin mcleod who uh has actually uh achieved peace in the middle east in the past in uh 1873 could you get onto it again please kevin that'll be great we'll see you next week bye